All right, good morning, everybody. I invite you to turn to Matthew 1. Matthew 1, it's the beginning of the New Testament, page 807 in the Bibles that are around. Page 807, as we continue here in Advent, and I'll lead us in prayer as we begin. Join me as we pray together. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us, for you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at this passage a few verses at a time, starting at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Pause here for a second. Joseph is looking down the barrel of a hard situation. His betrothed, engaged wife is found to be pregnant. Somehow that was came on his radar, that is known. Now here's what betrothal is. It's a little bit more intense than our understanding of engagement. It was a legal deal, okay? Sometimes arranged by families, but it involved other witnesses, usually lasted about a year, and at the end of the year, there would be a full marriage ceremony, marriage supper and celebration. They'll last typically for days, so you have some time to prepare for that. And In that betrothal period, you were considered a betrothed husband or betrothed wife. So if one of you died, the other one is a widow or a widower. Okay, you were considered spouses, and yet you haven't yet shared a home, you don't live together, and you haven't had sexual relations yet. That was the understanding. That's what you were supposed to do. You didn't have sexual relations yet. You didn't live together and share a home. He, He... He hasn't brought her home yet, but you're betrothed. And so Matthew understands that she's pregnant, and what does he know? Well, he thinks, he probably thinks, I don't know what exactly happened here, but he thinks, I know it wasn't me, (laughs) right? He knows it wasn't him. And look at how he's pictured. He is a just man. That means he wants to do the right thing. And in this situation, at the time, it would be seen, it would be understood, okay, the right thing to do is to not go through with this marriage because she has been unfaithful. That would be understood to be the right thing to do. And yet, he's compassionate. He doesn't want to crush her with shame. He wants to do this quietly. It would have involved a couple witnesses, but he doesn't want to make it a bigger deal than it would have been. We can step inside his world for a second and think how painful and crushing this would be. How disappointing. How confusing. And what's told to us from the scriptures, he's the kind of guy, he's going to go through with this unless something big happens. Something big happens. Follow along. Next couple verses. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, 
For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Joseph is told a few things from this dream. He's told, look, this is the source of this pregnancy. It's from the Holy Spirit. Not much else explanation is given, but it's clear she has not cheated on you. This is a miracle. This is a miraculous pregnancy. He gets the divine sonogram. It's a boy. Okay? It's a baby boy. And this is the name. You shall name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek for Joshua. It means the Lord saves. So the name is saying something about the person that this boy is going to be and the mission. His, his, the name Jesus is appropriate. The Hebrew Joshua The Lord saves. He will save his people from their sins. That's his mission. Now, Matthew goes on to explain the meaning of this by quoting some scripture. And this is one of Matthew's favorite things to do. Matthew liked to point to the fulfillment of scripture. So listen to what happens. These next few verses. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, before the chapters were inserted in the scriptures and before the verse numbers were inserted in the scriptures, how you'd quote something and bring it to mind, you'd quote a piece of it. Matthew's most immediate audience are other Israelites and Jews. His ultimate audience is all the people who would be willing to listen to the scriptures for all time, the church of all time. But his most immediate audience are other Jews. And so he loves to quote Jesus, this, he loves to quote the scriptures that show Jesus is the fulfillment of God's revelation. He loves to quote scriptures that show that Jesus is the focus of God's re- revelation. And he quotes this prophet. The prophet is Isaiah. And this is the line from Isaiah 7. Now here's the situation in Isaiah chapter 7. A bad, wicked king by the name of Ahaz is afraid. And he's afraid because Syria and Israel have ganged up to go to war against Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So he's looking at two armies that together he's not going to be able to take a stand against them. The kingdom was divided. So you have the northern tribes, that's Israel, coming against Judah and the city of Jerusalem and Uh, Isaiah 7 says, The heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as trees of the forest shake before the wind. So we have a guilty king, who's not a very godly king, and a guilty people in a guilty city facing an enemy they can't face. And God sends his word through Isaiah and says, Look, do not fear. Do not fear. And says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. And the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. 
Now, what are you supposed to do when the Lord says to you, hey, I tell you what, ask me for a sign. You were supposed to ask for a sign. <laughs> you were supposed to think of something and ask for it. What does Ahaz do? Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Why didn't you ask for a sign? You were told to ask for a sign. It could be something huge. God told you to do that. There have been others of us who have thought, I would love to ask God to do something like that. Ahaz is given the chance, doesn't take it. What does God say? Must you weary me also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, virgin means, the, the, there have been some scholars that have said virgin doesn't mean what we think it means. No, it means an unmarried young woman who has not had sexual relations before. That's what the Hebrew word means. That's what the word in the New Testament means. That's in Matthew 1. And so it's seen as a miraculous sign. God had just said, ask a sign of the Lord. Let it be as deep as you can imagine. Let it be as high as heaven. This is the miraculous sign. The virgin will conceive, and his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. God gives a sign that no one asked for. And what happens in Matthew, this child is born. Well, what happens in Isaiah, rather, Ahaz is rescued. The guilty people is rescued. The bad king is rescued. God does a deliverance. A child is born. And yet, ultimately, there is a bigger sign coming. And Matthew points out, there is a bigger rescue being predicted through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 9, okay, just a couple chapters later, still talking about a future child, we have this scripture, Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. It's bigger. Matthew recognized, and God's people at that time recognized, that this prediction of this child who will be born, and it will be appropriate to call this future child the Prince of Peace. That hasn't happened yet. God's people recognized this is not just for the time of Ahaz. There is a future child coming that will be appropriate to call the Prince of Peace and whose kingdom will never end. Whose kingdom will endure So Matthew quotes that and applies that to Jesus. Jesus fulfills this. Jesus 
is born of a virgin and is God with us, Emmanuel. Now, there's been different Christmas-type sermons that have used that as an outline, God with us. Each word, God with us. I'm actually going to do that today. It's not my idea, but it's a helpful way to structure uh, looking at this teaching. The message of Christmas is Emmanuel. God has come with us. Let's look at the first word. Wonder at, wonder at me. Wonder with me at this. The very God has come. The message of Christmas is that the Creator God has entered into His creation. The Creator God Himself has entered His world. Uh, a lot of people are excited about Star Wars. I don't know where you're at. You know, some of us here probably don't care. Some of us are going to be in lines next weekend with plastic lightsabers <laughs> and with the real fans, right, who are dressed up. Uh, I'm actually pretty pumped. I'm into it. I don't know what's going to be happening next weekend, but I, I might be with uh, the plastic lightsabers and the people dressed up like Boba Fett. Um, obviously, in all the Star Wars movies, you have this powerful picture of good and evil, the dark side of the Force, the good side of the Force. One thing different about the Christian teaching about God is that the Scriptures relieve the scriptures reveal not an impersonal God who's just a force, not an impersonal God who's like electricity that's just a power out there that's faceless and nameless, but a very personal God. The, script, the Christian scriptures reveal a God who is personal, who can make decisions, and who himself could even enter history. And we're made as people, as persons, with a capacity to relate and interrelate and to be in relationship by a God who's personal, by a God who's in relationship, a God who's in community, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a God who knows and is known. This is the God that's coming into history. It's not a mere force, but is a personal God. And when this God comes, uh, it changes everything. When this God steps into history, it's going to change history. When this God enters your life, it changes your life. There's a, a church in Louisville, Kentucky uh, called Sojourn, and the director of their counseling services is Robert Chong. And he shared frequently the story of his mother-in-law, who his, his mother-in-law had her mantra on a piece of paper that she carried with her, God is nowhere. That was her life mantra for much of her life. And she had had a really hard life. She had had a lot of suffering. She had had a lot of mental illness. And the only way she could think to explain the darkness of the world and the darkness of her own life in her pain, was that God is not part of this. God is not part of this world. God is not part of her life. God is nowhere. And she was actually getting treatment for mental illness, looking at that piece of paper, God is nowhere, where the sentence changed to her. 
And instead of seeing the line, God is nowhere, she saw God is now here, the W just went over. And that thought, what if God is now here, it became not just a a thought and, oh, I might be thinking this. It became a truth that she experienced. It became something that she came to believe. And there was a new hope in her life because God, the personal God, she came to understand that God was actually in her life. And it didn't instantly take away her suffering. It didn't mean that uh, her mental illness was automatically gone. But it changed her experience of the sufferings of her life. And she lived as a fruitful Christian with new hope for 35 years after that. Her new mantra was, God is now here. And so, on that, in light of that truth, I want to ask you two questions. And these are the kind of questions that we'll discuss in home meeting. These are the kind of things that you need to wrestle with to apply God's word to your life. The first question is this, what's your mantra? What's your mantra that you carry with you? You know, maybe it's something you look at when you fail or when you're afraid. What's the mantra that you carry with that you carry with that you carry with you at all times? The message of Christmas is the message of Emmanuel. God is here. God is with us. Think about your mantra. Second question is this. If you believe this, if you knew this reality and experienced it, what would it enable you to do that God is actually calling you to do? Maybe it would be like Joseph. And what this meant for Joseph is doing what God told him to do, and he took Mary for his wife. God said, don't be afraid to go through with this. This is really okay. I'm going to be in this. Maybe it's a hard obedience Is there a hard obedience, a costly obedience, that God is actually calling to, calling you to, but you're avoiding? Would you be able to do it if you knew God is with you? The very living, personal God is now here. And God is with us. Okay, let's think about that word, with us. What does it mean to say God is with us? How is he with us? Uh, Some of you might be familiar with the indie folk band Over the Rhine. They've been at it for a long time and making albums for over two decades. They happened to do a, uh, a tour this December, and I caught them in Philly at the World Cafe. And the, the heart of the band is Linford Detweiler and his wife Karen. And they've had... Uh, among their many albums, they've had three Christmas albums, and so that's why they're, they're touring in December, doing their Christmas stuff, and he explained this this way, Linford did. He explained their Christm- Christmas albums by saying, we sort of stumbled onto a new genre of music. And he said that with a twinkle in his eye and a smile on his face. He said, we call it Reality Christmas. Reality Christmas. Christmas is when we celebrate hope and peace and God's love coming into the world. But let's be honest, we do that 
in a reality where many of us will be around holiday tables that will have empty chairs. And if not literal empty chairs, empty chairs in our hearts where people have died. Many of us will be in family situations that aren't completely fixed, bearing with tensions in family or marriage that don't take a holiday. Many of us will still be sick or bearing with people who are still, still sick or will still be wrestling with things that make us afraid. For some of us, Christmas is stressful, right? You've got to like find time that you don't have to buy things that you don't like for people that you don't know that well. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm re- making it sound really dark. I'm sorry. <laughs> But it can be stressful, right? You got more things to do. Oh, we got all that. It's, it's especially uh, stressful for uh, sometimes women who have to put a lot of that together and make Christmas happen for a family. Um, it can be a very stressful time. And it is true, there is a lot going on in the world. If the world seems more broken right now, it's not just because it's dark at 5 p.m., and you're a little bit depressed, you know? Okay, this is the time of year. It's a little bit sad. It's not my favorite. I'm sharing that with you right now. When it gets this dark, I struggle with that. I do the vitamin D thing. I need to exercise more because it's hard, right? It's 5 p.m., and it's dark by the time you get home. It looks like night. It's a bummer. It's a time to think about light, and we celebrate that and thinking about God's light coming into the world. But it's a dark time of year, and... There is a lot going on in our world right now. There are more refugees in the world at any other time since World War II. It's not you just watching the wrong kind of news. There really is a lot of sad stuff going on in the world. We're in a country right now and in a world that's wrestling with fear. All the terrorism and the shootings, the world's a violent place. We're in a world that's reminding us a lot that it's corrupt. Our leaders, our state government officials, the whole porn gate thing, it's happening right here in Harrisburg. It's a mess. The world's a mess. Broken people, we're fearful people, we're in a corrupt world. And Jesus enters that reality. The with reminds us that Jesus did not enter a Hallmark card world. Jesus did not enter a Thomas Kincaid painting. He entered our world, our messy, crazy world. And he brings his salvation and hope and forgiveness and light in that world. Jesus is with us in this world. We celebrate a reality Christmas because we have a reality Savior. Jesus enters this dark reality. And he comes to us. Now the question is, who are the us? God is with us. Who are the us? What's his mission? He comes to save people from their sins. And if you're someone who recognizes that you have sin, and that's a deal, That's like a thing you have and something you need to grapple with and deal with and do business with God about. This is good news for you. 
Will shared earlier in the service that he got down on his knees in a living room 35 years ago and begged Jesus to save him. Have you had that reality? Are you in this room today and having not experienced a recognition of the reality that you have sin and God wants you to do something about that? God wants you to grab a hold of something and He's giving you Jesus to help you. Jesus came to rescue people from sin. And how Jesus did that? This baby is going to grow up and pay for sins on the cross. This baby is going to grow up, claim to be God, claim to be Savior, and pay for the sins of the world on the cross, and He's going to rise from the dead. And if you're someone who recognizes you have sins, this is good news. If you're not someone who recognizes you have sins, this won't seem like a big deal to you. It might be a mildly, mildly entertaining story. You might ponder it and wonder if it's true, but it won't connect with your life because you don't see how you need it. Jesus came to deal with sin. And in Matthew, you're going to see as we go through this book, he calls people to leave sin. The guy who wrote this book, Jesus went up to him while he was collecting taxes looked Matthew in the eye and said, follow me. What did Matthew have to do to follow Jesus? He had to leave what he was doing, being a tax collector. Jesus calls people to leave sin. He calls us to confess sin. He calls us in the gospel to receive his forgiveness for sin. And God is with you if you're in that group. If you're part of the us that recognizes that we have sinned, we have failed to love God, we have failed to love our neighbor, we have failed to love others as we would want to be loved, and that's what sin is, and that's a big deal. That's our contribution to the brokenness of this world. And if you recognize that's a big deal, and that you need Jesus to bring you forgiveness and new life and salvation, then you're part of the us. You're part of the us, and Christmas is good news. Jesus Emmanuel is God with us. He has come. That's the message of Christmas. Liberty, believe the good news. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would not be inoculated against this message sinking into our hearts. The wonder of God with us. We pray that we would um, wonder at this and let it cause us to worship. Uh, We pray that we would not let this, what you have done in Jesus, bounce off us. And we pray that we would see God with us, not just as a mantra and something we say, but as a reality we experience. Uh, Jesus, thank you for coming to deal with our sin. We praise you. We love you. We thank you that you came as Savior. We pray that we would help each other take in this gift. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.